Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. We continue to make our way through the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19 today um, will be our text. Looking forward to our time in God's Word. Uh, hope that you've been encouraged this week. Last Sunday was a big Sunday for us during the groundbreaking. Looking forward to seeing that get underway very soon uh, throughout the rest of this summer and beyond. Uh, all that the Lord has ahead of us. But today, for now, we want to give our thoughts and our attention to the Word of God, specifically in verses 11 through 19 of Luke chapter 17. Let's hear the Word of the Lord this morning. Luke writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this account that shows us who you are. Instruct us by it, Lord, and change us for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in Luke chapter 17, and as you think about Luke, the physician, he was a traveling companion of Paul, and we're told that he penned this gospel account to encourage a man by the name of Theophilus, and certainly by extension, us. But he specifically, we're told, wrote this account to Theophilus, according to chapter 1, verse 4, Luke says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Well, think about that for a moment. Theophilus, most think, was a man that Luke had in mind, a specific man. The name itself means lover of God. Uh, so some say it's maybe a general audience, those who love God, but we pretty convinced that there was a Theophilus and Luke was writing it to him, a, man of that day and time, and he had been taught things about God. He had heard stories about Jesus. He had perhaps even been near and seen accounts of God's working through this culture. And now Luke, we're told, is providing an orderly account to encourage him, to strengthen his confidence in the Lord, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught, things he'd already heard, been taught. Now Luke's writing to reinforce and to prop up the certainty that Theophilus would have concerning the truth about the Lord Jesus. And I think that's a good reminder for us today. God's word is a tool inspired of the Lord that the Lord has given us to encourage and to strengthen us in our faith that we may have confidence concerning God, concerning Christ. 
Today's passage is no different. It falls well within that very same purpose. It's a passage detailing yet another miraculous healing. But at the end of the day, it is here, embedded right here in Luke chapter 17, it is here that we may have certainty concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke sets the context for this scene. We're told there in verse 11 that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Indeed, we're right amidst, in the midst of this travel narrative. began in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and it will go all the way until he gets to Jerusalem there around Luke chapter 19. We're told here that he happens to be passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now remember, Samaria lies between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. Judea is where Jerusalem is. And so Samaria is right in the middle, and Jesus is on that border between Galilee and Samaria. Back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we know that Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. He is on a mission. He is on his way to go to this great city, knowing what awaits him there, knowing what's going to happen, knowing he's going to ultimately go and be crucified on a cross and die. But on the way, he continues to minister. He continues to do the work in which he had been given to do in his earthly ministry. And it's at this particular point that he enters a village and he is greeted by or encounters in some way these 10 lepers. As we think about this passage, we, in your Bibles, you have those titles, right? Those titles are not inspired. They weren't in the original. And so these are just ways to kind of summarize messages and texts. Kind of this is what it's about. This is good little markers for us, just like the chapter and verses weren't in the original, good little helpful markers for us to kind of navigate our way through large books especially. But you'll notice it says Jesus, maybe your Bible, my Bible says, Jesus cleanses 10 lepers. Well, he does. And while the passage highlights 10 lepers, I think it's important for us to see that this passage is really a passage about Jesus, who he is, what he does, who he cares for, etc. And I want us to walk through this text today, and I want us to see four particular truths about Jesus as he ministers to these 10 lepers. There's one in particular that we're going to highlight. I want us to see these things about Jesus. Why is he the one to whom we must look and hope? Four reasons. First of all, he is the source of our hope. He is the source of our hope. There in verses 11 through 13, you find again the setting. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He arrives at this village. He's met by 10 lepers. Now this, this idea of being a leper, when we think of leprosy, I don't know what you think. I'm not in your mind. But typically, I don't know about you, but when I think of leprosy, I think of a very bad situation, right? We think of leprosy like this skin-eating disease that, that you lose limbs eventually. It's just bad, like you don't want to get leprosy. But leprosy in the Bible was a term often used for several skin diseases. It's probably not, in this case, what most people think about this extreme condition where you've got these gaping wounds and lost limbs. It could be a range of skin diseases that would make you unclean. And so you could have just some bad eczema and you're unclean and you could be cast out of the community. And so leprosy had a range of, of meaning applied to various different kinds of, of skin inflammation. 
And we're told here that regardless of the extent of their condition, that they are separated from the community that's obvious. But here stood these 10 lepers at a distance, lifting up their voices to Jesus, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Think about that for a minute. If you were a leper, you would have been segregated from the community. You would have had to live in isolation. And here they stood, segregated from the rest of the population as the law required, pleading to Jesus for mercy. They were isolated. They were desperate. They felt true hopelessness. And they knew they needed a miracle for their circumstances to change. Think about that, friends. Imagine being isolated from family and the larger community, absolutely no contact. You think this past year's been rough? Imagine indefinite quarantine. So they see Jesus and they cry out to him. But notice they cry out with confidence. Jesus, master. I'm not sure that there are many other accounts, certainly you don't find it among the disciples very often, if at all, where Jesus is referred to as master. They're recognizing something about him. He's not just another guy that's coming to town and it's not like they're just calling out for help at, with anyone that comes into town, no. They recognize who he is and they call out for him. They understand that if anybody's going to help them, it will be Jesus. This call was a call for mercy. It was a cry that recognized something about him, that he is master, he, is, he has authority. Their behavior ought to be quite instructive to us. You see, they understood. They understood that their situation was one that could not be reversed. They could not heal themselves. There was no one around that could heal them. They understood just how hopeless of a condition they were in. And they also understood that if anyone was going to be able to heal them, it would be Jesus. Here they are living all these years. We're not told exactly how long they've been in this condition. But here they are living however long they were as lepers with hopelessness, perhaps in despair. But now Jesus comes to town and that changes. We're told that when he saw them, they cried out. Obviously, they, he enters the village. He's met by 10 lepers. They lifted up their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. And verse 14 says, and when he saw them, he says to go tell the priests. And we'll get to that just in a moment. But what I want you to see here is that when they see Jesus, they cry out to him despite their own sense of despair and hopelessness. They recognized that their very life depended on this man. I don't know if many of you have ever been whitewater rafting. How many of you have been whitewater rafting? Get some Baptists raising their hands in here this morning. All right. <laughs> if you've ever been whitewater rafting, they give you a paddle for a reason. Right? You don't go rafting just to kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. I mean, you do enjoy the ride. You don't go whitewater rafting just to kind of casually sit back and let your guide navigate you down the, the water. 
You have a guide for a reason. You have paddles for a reason. And when the guide tells you, paddle on the right side, you paddle on the right side like you've never paddled before. (laughs) And if he says to do it on the left, you do it on the left side like you've never done so before. Think about that, if the number of people in the boat, I don't know how many fit into one of these rafts, eight, 10, maybe. But if you just think about, if everybody just kind of kicked back and just floated down the, the river, these, these waves crashing in on you and did nothing, you would find out very quickly just how much your life depended upon paddling in communication with the guide. If everyone just sat back and said, Uh, we're good, I'm just here to kind of enjoy enjoy things, you wouldn't fare so well. I thought about whitewater rafting, I thought about this idea of, of praying and how often we are like the complacent rafter, paddle in hand, but not really using it. And think about the paddle as, as this means of of prayer, but the paddle being used in conjunction with the, with the communication and instruction of the guide. You see these lepers, they're crying out to Jesus as if their very life depended upon it. How often are we doing the same? How often are we praying like our life depends upon it? Listening to God's instructions through his word and then crying out to him in hope. Do we seek him for all we need in this life, even when what we need seems like a far reach? Do we recognize our true need of Jesus, certainly in salvation, but in everyday sanctification as well? Our life, our health, our future, whatever it is about you, do you seek Jesus for all that you need? Does your praying reveal how essential Jesus is to your daily life. If we were to have a transcript of your prayer life this morning, what would it reveal about your view of Jesus and your need of him? Does it reveal that he is your hope? Does it reveal that he is your confidence? that despite what everyone else in this world has told you, despite what every other experience you've experienced in this life, that Jesus is the one who can be your hope and your foundation, the solid rock on which you stand. He is the source of our hope. Number two, second truth that we see is that he is generous in power. In verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. No more leprosy. He sees them. And miraculously, instantly, their skin disease is no more. But you notice the the sequence of events here. He hears their cry. He sees them, their condition. And he has compassion on them. It's interesting how this develops because he says, he doesn't say, be healed, you know, some like big moment. He says, he sees them, he says, go see the priests. And as they're on their way, don't know exactly when, was it instantly or was it as they made their way down the road, they're, they're healed. 
They're cleansed. Why does he tell them to go see the priests? Because that's what the Old Testament instructed. That's what God's law required. In fact, if you see that, you see it in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 19, again in chapter 14, verse 11 of Leviticus. In the Old Testament, a person was instructed to go visit the priest after being healed. But here, it's interesting, they're instructed to go just before their healing occurs, indicating just how certain their healing would be. And as they go, that's exactly what happens. The power of Jesus is revealed in their cleansing. I want you to notice several realities about Jesus that's exemplified here through the display and demonstration of his power to heal them. Number one, he is full of compassion. Here stood these 10 lepers calling out to Jesus. He notices them and he's moved by their need. Compare that to the throngs of people, people who would have known them, who would have intentionally ignored them, people who would have intentionally strayed away from them, people who would have been repulsed by them, but not Jesus. It's encouraging, isn't it, to know that Jesus is not repulsed by any of us. He's eager to extend compassion to those who cry out to him. Friend, let that be of encouragement to you. No matter how unclean you may be in the eyes of this world, you are not a lost cause with Jesus. If you're here this morning and maybe you feel this sense of rejection by your friends, family, community, culture, whatever, and maybe you you feel this sense of being ignored and isolated, rejected, abandoned in some ways, I have good news for you. Jesus sees you. He knows your name, he knows your hurts, he sees your sorrows, and he cares deeply for you more than you can fathom. Cry out to him. He's full of compassion. He delights in giving compassion to those who are hurting. Second observation that we see, he's faithful to the word. The thing about Jesus is that when he ministers in his earthly ministry, he is always acting within the bounds of scripture. He's full of compassion, but he also recognizes the authority of God's word. By calling the lepers to visit the priest, he's being faithful to the Old Testament cleansing requirements that were found in the law. Jesus didn't just burst on the scene in the New Testament and say, hey, that Old Testament stuff, I'm here now, you can just kind of ignore it. No, he came to fulfill the scriptures. He came to be submissive to the authority of God's word. Even in his earthly ministry, as he was doing miraculous things, he was doing them in concert with the faithfulness to Scripture. He's powerful, but he also recognizes the authority of God's revealed word. Number three, we see that his resources are unlimited. There's no question that when you read the Bible, you read the Gospels, there's no one in the Bible that comes even close to Jesus, obviously. The whole point of the Bible 
is to point us to Christ. The Old Testament setting the scene and laying that foundation, putting the, the, the promises of God in, in view and, and laying that foundation and pointing us to the day when this Messiah would come. And now the New Testament revealing his powerful coming and his accomplishments in his earthly ministry as he lives a life of righteousness, dies on the cross in the place of sinners, is raised from the dead triumphantly, sins to the Father. He's promised to come again. There's no question, there's no one like him. His power is regularly seen throughout these gospel accounts. When it comes to healing, and we know he did so many different things, right? He walks on water, he, he does all kinds of things. Raises the dead. But when it comes to healing, he could heal with a touch. I mean, he could touch someone and boom, you're healed. He could heal with a word, he could just speak. No more sickness. Or what it seems here, we're not told that he said anything directly. Seems like he, he heals with a thought at a distance. Just reminds us that Jesus isn't limited. And friends, that's good news. There's no problem you have that Jesus can't handle. And yet, how often do we remain in hopeless despair because we aren't seeking his power and provision in our lives? His resources are unlimited. He has the ability to meet your very needs, miraculously so. He's generous in his power. A third thing that we see in this text, he's the source of our hope, he's generous in power. Number three, he is worthy of our gratitude. In verse 14, all 10 lepers are cleansed. At least that's the implication. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves. And they went and they were cleansed. All 10 were cleansed. Verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. All 10 were healed in verse 14. In verse 15, one returns to thank Jesus. This one leper, on his way to see the priest, like he was instructed, realizes all of a sudden he has, he's been healed. They're, they're all probably looking at themselves and, and starting to get excited and, and, and rejoicing. But this one leper stops in his tracks, doesn't go on to the priest. He turns and he makes a beeline for Jesus. And he falls down at his feet. He's praising God with a loud voice. I mean, this is no quiet moment. And he falls at Jesus' feet. This one who previously was crying out to Jesus from a distance is now bowing at the feet of Jesus, thanking him. And then Luke adds this extra tidbit of information in verse 15. Now he was a Samaritan. Why would Luke say that? Why would that be necessary? I mean, you could, you could have a glorious account without that line in there, couldn't you? Nothing changes. As far as the experience and the power and all the rest. But Luke adds this editorial comment here. Now he was a Samaritan. Upon reading this account, it could very well have been assumed 
that the leper was a Jew. We don't know. I mean, who knows what people would have thought when they heard this account, when Theophilus was reading this. But to note that he was a Samaritan is important because it adds to the outcast identity that would have been classified among lepers. Samaritans were generally despised by the Jews. They were not full-blooded Jews, but an ethnic mix that stemmed from the Assyrian conquest. Remember Isaiah, when the Assyrians came and took over the northern kingdom there in 722 B.C. Samaritans were a result of this intermingling of these foreign nations with the Jews of the northern kingdom. And the Jews in the south despised them. They regarded them as apostates because they weren't true Jews. But, as Luke tells us, it's this despised apostate, this Samaritan, that's the only one that returns to give Jesus thanks and to praise God. Jesus even recognizes it, doesn't he? Verse 17, then Jesus answered, um, we're not 10 cleansed? I mean, I <laughs> just can't imagine what the scene is, right? There's one guy, he's just, he's just to pieces praising God and thanking Jesus. And here Jesus, uh, weren't there 10 of you? Jesus knows there were 10. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus recognizes culturally the status of this Samaritan. He's not a Jew. Therefore, he's the one, the only one in this case, that has returned to give praise to God, to thank God for this deliverance. As this, this account shows us several things that we need to understand about Jesus. Three lessons under this point that we learn through this one leper's response about Jesus. Number one, he makes the invisible visible. There were 10 lepers, all unclean, who were now clean, healed. But it's this Samaritan that returns to give thanks. The heading may say, Jesus cleanses 10 lepers there in your Bible, but it's really a story of Jesus and this one leper, isn't it? Although we learn, as we'll see, a lot about these other nine in a moment. This unclean, despised, apostate Samaritan Jesus takes the time to recognize him. Luke includes that comment for a reason. One of the themes that we find over and over throughout the Gospel of Luke is just how much a priority the outsider is for Jesus. The poor, the downtrodden, the sick, the suffering, the outcast, the leper. Those who are invisible by society, those who are invisible in the world, in society, all of those are visible to Jesus. Friend, if you feel like you're invisible in society or even, God forbid, in this church, please know and be encouraged that you are clearly seen by Jesus. Your pain, your struggles, your circumstances, your situation, everything about you, past, present, future, are known by the Lord and are seen by Jesus. 
This man had several cultural strikes against him. Being a leper was bad enough, but he was a Samaritan leper. Really bad. No Jew would have given lepers, even if they were Jewish lepers, the time of day. Not even a thought. They would have been invisible, but this guy was a Samaritan. And yet he's the one that Jesus honors in this text. A couple thoughts that come to mind. First of all, this should give those who are outcast of society much hope. Again, if you, if you sense that in your own life, you're with us this morning, you're watching, if you, if you sense that, that there's just this, this tag on you for whatever reason, you're not seen fully by this world. You are seen fully by the Lord. Your pain, your struggles, everything. And fellow Christians, something that ought to, to speak to us from this text, if the invisible of society matter to Jesus, the invisible of society ought to matter much to us. The invisible of our community ought to be more and more visible to us. Let's all be honest. There are people in our community. We don't have to go beyond St. Mary's County. There are people right here in this community who are invisible to us. I don't know who that is for you. There are people that we, you can't be everywhere all the time, right? So, just practically speaking, there are people that you don't see, people's circumstances you're not aware of, people that are just not arriving on the radar screen of your awareness that you don't see. Brothers and sisters, one of the things that when we pray, one of the things that we need to be praying for is to, to ask Jesus to help us see more like he sees, to care as he cares. This passage is an example that warns us by implication against limiting our ministry to those whom God may very well choose to bless through it. Let me say that again. This passage is an example that warns us against limiting our ministry to those whom God may very well choose to bless through it. Jesus makes the invisible visible. Number two. He commends thankfulness as normal. The Samaritan returns with praise and thanksgiving. His response to God's mercy is the right response. J.C. Ryle, great Anglican, said of this account, here is a humbling and heart-searching lesson. The best of us are far too like the nine lepers. We are far more ready to pray than praise and more disposed to ask God for what we do not have than thank him for what we do have. And then he says this, the widespread thanklessness of Christians is a scandal. Friends, the passage here reminds us and reveals to us that thanksgiving to God is right, it's good. It ought to be normal, and yet 
oftentimes, just stop and think about it. I had to think about this for a moment because I was reading and seeing people point this out. And I was thinking, well, I mean, I think I thank God for things. Like, trying to think back just through prayer life. Like, I try to be thankful. I thank God for our food every day. And thank God for health and ability to do things. And, and, and then I started realizing just how many things I don't express gratitude for. And this is just the truth. Thanksgiving can often be a rare practice. Kind of get a boost in November, right? But it can be a rare practice. Even among those who've received much from Jesus. So friend, I just ask you, is gratitude, is Thanksgiving a rare attribute in your life? Is Thanksgiving something you regularly practice in your prayer life, in your home, in your, wherever you are? Would your friends characterize you as a grateful person, generally? Would your family say that about you? I'm just so glad that my kids are thankful. Parents, are you saying that regularly? Are your kids saying, I'm just thankful for my parents? We could go on and on, right? There's so many ways, there's so many things that we should be thankful for. But, but would you be characterized by that? It's interesting when you read the book of Romans. In the very first chapter, the very first three chapters are just this great indictment upon the rebellion of humanity. Gentiles are bad, Jews are bad. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 1 through 3. You're welcome. All right? But it's in the midst of chapter 1, Paul's indictment upon the ungodly and the rebellious, where he mentions the ungrateful. Listen to what he says in verse 21. He says, for, he's speaking of the, the rebellious, those who, like, the wrath of God is coming upon. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Os Guinness, in commenting upon this same verse, said that Romans 1.21 is a sober reminder that rebellion against God does not begin with the clenched fist of atheism, but with the self-satisfied heart of the one for who thank you is redundant. Brothers and sisters, thankfulness is not an added bonus for the believer. It's a natural impulse that ought to be regular. Are you thankful? Number three, Jesus sees our true motives. He calls out the other nine there in verse 17. Weren't there nine of you? Is it just this one that returned to give praise to God? We know that there were nine. Jesus knows there were nine. The nine know there were nine. These nine lepers show us something here in this text. These nine lepers show that while they desired to experience the power and provision of Jesus, they had no intent in following him. He could have just as easily said to these nine lepers as he did to many among the 5,000 in John chapter six. In John chapter six, verse 26, many of the, the crowds that were fed that day among the 5,000, Jesus said this of them. He said, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and got your fill. The reason you seek me is, is to get stuff from me, not to follow me. To be blessed by me, 
but not to take up your cross daily and follow me. It's a different situation, but the same heart problem is exposed, isn't it? People often desire the benefits of Jesus without ever committing to follow him. I think it would be appropriate to ask the question out loud today, is that a possibility in your heart? To desire the blessings of Jesus, but really no desire to follow him, to obey him. You want Jesus to give you an easy life, a good education, another degree, a nice job, good income, good benefits, nice car, nice house, just the right amount of kids or no kids. Take your pick. I, just, Jesus is kind of my, my genie in the lamp. Just Give me these good things and help my life to be easy. But, but you've never once contemplated the cost of following Jesus. You've not once thought of how you could lay down your life and give yourself to following him. You want to get from him, but you have no desire or no intention to giving to him. That's not Christianity. That's just not Christianity. Christian faith is not about people who come to Jesus and say, hey, if you just give me these things, I'll be grateful. Catch you on the flip side. Not at all. It's a call to recognize that he is the source of your hope, the joy of your life, and that you will forsake all to follow him. He sees our true motives. Oftentimes, many of us are more like these nine lepers than we want to acknowledge. Friend, wherever that may be true in your life today, would you confess it and by God's grace repent of that? He sees our motives. The last thing that we see, third point was that he was worthy of gratitude. Number four and lastly, he is faithful to bless. In response there in verse 19, Jesus says to this Samaritan leper who is now healed, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It could be translated, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. There's discussion on what's the better translation. Regardless, your faith has made you well is is fine. But regardless, what, what Luke seems to be indicating here is not only was this man healed, he was converted. It's clear by the time you get to verse 19 that this this one leper that returned received something from Jesus the other nine did not. He enjoyed a healing the others had not received, though all of them were healed of leprosy. The response of the Samaritan seems to embody a faith that the others did not have. And as such, he received a greater and more lasting blessing. Jesus' response here teaches us that one one can experience the, the grace of God in terms of general mercy and still not benefit from his saving mercy. And that is tragic. All of us today, 
Like if we could fit everybody in the world in this room, right? No problem. Everybody in the world are benefiting from God's general, his common grace to humanity. The fact that each of us just took that breath that you just breathed, right? It's a gift of God. The food you had this morning, gift of God. The rain we've been having, even though we complain about it, gift of God. Everything that we have in this world is a, is a gift. Everything good is, is God saying, I am merciful, I am generous, I am good to you. Everybody experiences the goodness of God. But you can experience the goodness of God and completely miss the saving grace of God. Let this be a warning to you, friend. If you are here and if you're watching with us this day and, and, you, and you see this in your own life, you, you see, yeah, I, I see how God has blessed me. I see how I've been benefiting from this, but, but I've never committed my life to Christ. I've never repented of my sins and put my faith in Jesus. I've never counted the cost of what it means to take up my cross daily and to follow Jesus. Never done that. Friend, we would just encourage you to consider why not today? Today is the day of salvation. True saving faith responds to God's goodness and God's grace and publicly acknowledges Jesus, just as this one Samaritan did. Friend, don't miss the lasting blessings of Jesus and simply, and simply be satisfied with the temporal blessings you experience in this world. Don't settle for these temporal blessings and just go on your merry way. Because there's coming a day when we will all leave this world and we will all stand before a holy and righteous God and give account of our lives. The Bible tells us that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Because of our rebellion, because of our sin, we, we, will, we will stand before God and, we, and he, he has every right to condemn and judge us because he's holy. And yet he's provided for us through the coming of Jesus a means by which, the means, the only way by which we can be saved, to have our sins forgiven and to be in a right and restored relationship with God. Friend, don't settle for merely temporal blessings. Put your hope in that which is eternal by clinging to Christ by faith. Look to Jesus as the one who not only can meet your physical needs, but the one that can satisfy your soul. There were 10 lepers physically healed that day, but only one who enjoyed true healing. Only one who saw Jesus for who he truly is. Only one that commended Jesus. Only one who gave thanks to him and praised God. He saw Jesus cried out in hope, he experienced this miraculous healing and he returned to Jesus in grateful praise. And he left that day enjoying a newfound relationship with Jesus that the other nine, at least at this point, did not know. And he followed him. What we see from this passage is this, Jesus came for lepers. He came to give the hopeless hope. He came to bring the separated near. He came to make the forsaken accepted. Friends, this is our great savior. 
And not only does he do this for lepers, he does it for sinners. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you reveal your heart through your word. That through this account today that we can see these glorious truths about the Lord Jesus and what he has done, who he is, what he brings, what he gives us. And Lord, my prayer this morning would be that not one person would leave today without knowing and enjoying the full benefits of encountering Jesus. Not just in temporal blessings, but to know him with eternal hope. Father, would you work in our hearts this morning as we hear these things from your word? Would you help us to see the differences between the one and the nine? Would you confront us in ways that we look more like these nine lepers than we do the one? Would you confront us, Lord, and convict us when our heart and our compassion lacks and doesn't reflect that of our Savior? Father, would you help us to take joy not only in the physical blessings that we enjoy in this life, but to seek you for that which lasts forever. God, you are so good. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, in fact, do give hope to the hopeless, that you bring near those who are separated and that you accept those who have been forsaken. Thank you for being such a glorious and good Savior. We pray this in Christ's name.